Hey everybody, it's me, Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen What Makes Us Yawn? It's actually a really good question about something everyone does, and yet we don't really fully understand. After all of these eons of people yawning, and all these centuries of science studying things like people yawning, we still can't explain what yawning is. So, buckle in and enjoy this episode of Stuff You Should Know. Selects. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant. You getting comfy? Yeah. Okay. Well, you put the two of us together, and this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. Frank uh, was squeaking. I thought I was in Frank. Oh, is that Frank? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm in Francine. Oh, okay. Sorry, Francine. She's no, wait, squeaking. You are in Frank. Who am I? Let's build a chair. Uh, people have never heard this. They're like, what are they talking about? Oh, they've already turned off. We name our chairs, people. Doesn't everyone? You name cars, boats, and chairs. Yeah, a surprising amount of people name chairs. If you don't, you should be paranoid because people are talking about you. That's right. Um, Chuck. Yes. Have you ever oscillated? I have. I've even... Uh, Pendiculated. You've pendiculated before? I pendiculate every morning. You know what? We we sound like um, people running for the Senate in 1950s Florida. <laughs> yeah, there's like Florida has a rich history of um, like people running for political office using technical terms for things that sound way worse than they are to like smear their opponents. Really? Yeah. There's this one guy who went and I can thank Uncle John and his bathroom reader for ah, this. Okay. Um, who went after his opponent and said that his sister was a thespian in New York. And, like, all these people were like, boo, boo, we hate I hate thespians. actors. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, apparently, like, the smear campaign was successful. That wasn't the only one, but this guy used that. Huh. A couple of, couple of technical terms. We should probably tell people what we're talking about, right? Because you said you pendiculate every morning. B- easily every morning. And that is a what? That is a yawn and a stretch combined yeah. together and is one of my favorite things to do in the morning. It is. Did you did you see that painting of the, the it was mm. a self-portrait, the artist's self-portrait. It seemed yeah. like it was from like the 16th or 17th century of him pandiculating. It's just this awesome oil painting of this, you know, Renaissance man stretching and yawning. Yeah, I love it because it feels good. Yeah. And it uh, it ties me to my pets, you know, because... Like, I see them do it, they see me do it, and I'm kind of like, hey, we all eat, we all pee and poop, mm-hmm. and we all pendiculate. My little cat will stretch and yawn, my dogs will stretch and yawn, Yeah, and I will stretch and yawn. So do you guys make one another stretch and yawn? You know, I'm, I'm going to start looking out for that, because I have not noticed that, but apparently yawning can be contagious to animals, right? Yeah, there's a fun little game you can Or dogs you only, can play. right? Dogs, chimps. supposedly, chimps, for sure. But probably not cats. I don't know. Yeah. Just because it's not in here doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah. Um, there, there's a fun little game you can play the next time you're hanging out with people if you feel like manipulating them sure. on a biological level. Mm-hmm. Um, just yawn and just start paying attention to how many people yawn as a result. And right. it should start some sort of chain reaction among maybe 40 to 50% of the people because that's the, that's the statistic of how many human adults yawn yeah. in reaction to seeing somebody yawn, mm-hmm. seeing video of somebody yawn, mm-hmm. hearing about somebody yawning, yeah. 
reading about yawning? Like how many times did you yawn while you read this article? A bunch, and people will probably yawn while listening to this, supposedly. It's pretty much impossible not to. Yeah, do you ever, this just really shows how deeply disturbed I am. (laughs) I will not, I will uh, suppress or cover up a yawn if someone else has made me yawn sometimes just so I don't give them the satisfaction. Oh, yeah, I've done that before, Sometimes, too. Yeah. it's like, no, I'm not yawning. Sure. Like, just some stranger on an elevator, they'll yawn, yeah. and I'll just be like, nope, not me, buddy. One of those people who don't realize that, like, they, you're, they're just your mortal enemy for no real good reason. Yeah, yeah. when, in fact, they right. really don't even know he exists. Right. <laughs> they're like, some guy's on the elevator? Right. So, yawning is involuntary, Yep. Um, and I've seen a range of, of weeks that a fetus has been observed yawning from 11 to 20, mm-hmm. and... uh that sort of disproves one of the, well, many things disproves one of the theories, which is that we yawn to oxygenate ourselves. Yeah, because a lot of people think that fetuses um, breathe amniotic fluid in the womb, and that is absolutely not true. Right. They so get their oxygen not, uh, through the umbilical cord. Yeah, so they're not clearly not yawning to oxygenate themselves. Right. And but, we'll debunk that with other things in a minute. Sure. Um, but that still, it is a little bit of a mystery, though. Like, uh, yeah, the, the other the other ideas for why we yawn don't really hold up in the fetus either. It feels like that's where the key to the mystery of yawning is going to be found. In the fetus? In the womb. All right. Well, should, um, we, should we go there over some theories then, I Well, guess? hold on. First, you were saying it's involuntary. I found this one thing, Chuck, that there's a type of paralysis, like a lesion on the brain. Uh-huh. Where you can still, if you yawn, you still pandiculate. So, like your paralyzed arm, if you yawn deep enough, will will raise, will rise. Really? Yeah. Wow. Pretty weird, huh? Yeah. There's only been a few cases of it over like the last 150 years, but it's been documented in a number of different places. Huh? Yeah. I'll so, bet that is such a surprise. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> They're like, can I be tired more often? Yeah. Um. So when you yawn, just physiologically speaking, you're going to open your mouth. You're going to suck in air into your lungs. Uh, I read one place that you, your eyes usually close. They did this big study and found that most time your eyes close, but I don't think it's like all the time, you know? That's sneezing you're thinking of. No, they did a study on, on the eyes <laughs> really? of, of the yawner. Well, that's part of the yawn too as far as um, cues go. Like it's not just the mouth opening, your eyes squint. Yeah, and I found like the really good deep yawn, um, my eyes will generally close. Gotcha. So you're going to flex your, your abs. It's a good workout. It's going to push your <laughs> diaphragm down. You're going to fill your lungs with air and then exhale. And that is a yawn. That's and if a you yawn. stretch, you're pendiculating. Yeah. Um, also, parts of your brain become active, right? Um, basically, what happens when all of this, when you go through all this process, a bunch of neurotransmitters and dopamine are um, activated. And that is why a guy named Robert Provine thinks, well, he says that um, yawns are basically a part of a a change from one state of arousal to another. Yeah, like I was asleep, now I'm awake, or I was was, alert, now I'm bored. Right, or I was like just ho-hum, and now I'm like in the mood. Because (laughs) you can yawn when you're sexually aroused. Oh, that mood. Yes. The mood. The mood. Sorry. Uh, the Glenn Miller mood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what they had to call it back then. And that's what we have to call it today on this family-friendly podcast. That's right. Yeah. Um, what's going on, too, is uh, physiologically speaking, is we are uh, distributing um, something called a surfactant, which sounds gross. And it kind of is. Okay. It's a wedding agent. 
uh, to coat alveoli in the lungs. Um, but are they saying that's what happens or that's why it happens? That's what happens. Okay, they're like, not saying the reason is to coat the, the alveoli with surfactant, right? I, I, it could be. I mean, for all we know. Because like, still we, don't know. No, we still have no idea what function yawning provides. Same with the, the yawning as a symbol of arousal or as a sign of arousal. They think that it's really just a byproduct of it. Right. You know? Okay. But it explains why people who are nervous, or dogs, I'm sure you've seen dogs who are nervous and they yawn in like that really kind of weird, unsettling way. Like yeah, yeah. Wrong. When they're super worked up. Yeah. Yeah. And humans too, you know, like people will yawn when they're nervous. It's, 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 it's a sign that you're in a state of arousal. Yeah. And what that state of arousal is depends on the situation. Yeah, they point to Olympians who yawn before like a race. Yeah. And, um... Which poo-poo's one theory that uh, we're going to get to the theory. Should we just get to the theories? Let's get to the theories. It poo-poo's that theory, though, that you have to be bored or you have to be sleepy or tired. Yeah. Like the, there's the boredom theory, and it's kind of been pretty fully shot down just by, you know, well, we just casual said. observation. Yeah. There's also the um, physiological theory. Yeah. Which is that uh, this is the one that I'd always heard when I was younger, like why you yawn. Is because you need to you you're oxygen deprived, or you have an abundance of carbon dioxide, so you're drawing in a bunch of oxygen and like putting out a bunch of carbon dioxide. Right. That's why you yawn. And uh, Povine or Provine that you mentioned, yeah, he tested this one, right? Yeah, pretty simply, he just said, oh, okay, well, um, let's just give some athletes a bunch of oxygen and see if they um, if they breathe if they yawn any less, and they didn't. Right. He also um, increased the carbon dioxide in the ambient air, and people still kept yawning. Okay, so that one's gone. But they didn't yawn anymore. Yeah. So we can put that to bed. Yeah, plus also there was a terrible um, high, uh, proof associated with that hypothesis. Oh, yeah? That, that explains why people yawn in groups, because when you have a big group, there's oh, yeah. more carbon dioxide and less oxygen. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Like you're all fighting over the oxygen. Right. So you're yawning. Through yawning, yeah. Whoever can yawn the deepest lives. Yeah, that doesn't sound right. Uh, evolution um, could play a part. Some people think that maybe we used to yawn. Tuk Tuk would yawn to bare his teeth to intimidate folks around him. Um, or that it developed as a signal. Uh, Tuk Tuk would give a signal to his mates that, hey, we gotta, we're hunting now and we need to go now gather uh, wood. So I will yawn to tell you that. Yeah, like pre-speech, right? Yeah. Like a, a bird turning of the whole flock. Yeah. That makes a little bit of sense, but I, I still don't believe that one. I'm with the brain cooling theory. That's like the most recent one. Yeah. And that I think, seems to be the one that people are subscribing to. Yeah, scientists generally are leaning toward the fact that um, when our brains are warmer, yawning might cool it down, and a cool brain is a more whatever a, a better brain i guess i should say i just does yawned. better for thinking i just yawned did you i did okay i didn't see it well i covered my mouth okay you may have thought i was burping i, I think i did <laughs> um so the brain cooling theory that's the one that most people think is l- lately that's yeah. the that's the um that's the, the hot explanation theory. du jour yeah um and there's another piece of research that people are going into that um is the idea that Contagious yawning is the result of empathy, right? 
that you yeah. that you empathize. The more you empathize with other people, the more susceptible you are to contagious yawning. And we said earlier that like f- I think forty one to fifty five percent of human adults, yeah, um, are c- susceptible to contagious yawning. Yeah, right. Which the MythBusters confirm, by the way. Okay, so there is some sort of link between what we perceive as empathy and the susceptibility to yawning when you see somebody else yawn or reading about yawning or whatever. I wonder if it's like, oh boy, that guy's tired. Just let me make him feel better. Well, the Provine, again, he's like really into yawning research. Yeah. Um, he he has done MRI scans where he shows, I guess, pictures of people yawning or mm-hmm. talks about yawning and, you know, they yawn. Um, and when they do, he says that mirror neurons go off. Oh yeah, our old friends. Right, so our, our mirror neurons are activated when you see somebody else yawn. And apparently that triggers a yawn. But people take it a step further in this quest to prove that empathy and contagious yawning are, you know, work hand in hand. Right. And saying, well, then people with autism, that that they shouldn't be able to to be susceptible to contagious yawning. Right, because they're known to have less empathy. Right. They have trouble connecting with others or um, they have trouble developing what's called a theory of mind about other people. Right. and there have been a lot of studies about whether or not uh, people who are uh, people who have autism are contagious to susceptible to contagious yawning. Yeah, and it's 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 been proven, not proven, but at least the data says that the more uh, the the stronger your autism, the less you will yawn, even though. Uh, they will yawn when someone's pretending to yawn. Was that what it was? But I didn't like a see real, that part. Yeah, I think it said that um, when they were watching uh, video of people just moving their mouths, then non-autistic kids yawn more than kids with autism when it was really yawning. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, hold on. Before we get to that. Yeah. Because um, this is like a whole thing to me. Sure. The, the idea that if you have autism, you're not susceptible to contagious yawning. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's first... Uh, have a message break from our sponsor. Stuff you should know. Okay, Josh, so I believe we were talking about autism and yawning, which is, I just learned, a thing for you. Well, yeah, you said that there was, um, they, they have found that if you have been diagnosed with autism, you're less likely to be susceptible to contagious yawning. Right. And they found that the f- higher on the autism spectrum you fall... The less likely you would, you would even be, right? Yeah, which would suggest that there is that link because they've tied... A, they, they, there's a link between uh, empathy and, uh, and autism and empathy and contagious yawning. So this the, the autism and studying kids with autism is kind of like the fulcrum. Sure. So, yeah, it just seems to me to be kind of, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't buy all the studies that have been carried out, and other studies kind of contradict it. Yeah. Like, they, they, other studies have shown that, like, kids with autism focus on people's mouths rather than their eyes. Okay. So maybe they're missing the cue. Remember we said that your eyes scrunch? So, like, a yawn is not just people opening their mouths. Right. It has all these other facial characteristics that might trigger a yawn in another person. So maybe oh, okay. kids with autism are simply missing that. So you're saying that maybe cue. the data could be skewed by other factors. It could be. Plus, I just remember when I wrote this article like years back, I was kind of like 
this something seems, stunk. Yeah, there's just <laughs> it seems just slightly off. Like, yeah, yeah. You uh, got a good gut though. Well, thanks, man. Sure. I've been working on it. <laughs> so bad. Um, well, we should also mention too that this goes back a long way. Like, uh, I believe was it Hippocrates? Yeah, was the first person to start sort of postulating ideas, and he was like. Uh, he thought it was fever-related, like sickness. It could help cure you. So I got a fever, and the only prescription is more yawning. Yeah, that's why he was the father of medicine. That's right. Because he was the first guy to just start saying stuff. But, you know, that was pretty quickly disproven. Right, but um, the idea that yawning has something to do with um, increasing our alertness and awareness, Yeah, which is kind of one of the current views of yawning, um, that dates back to the 17th and 18th centuries. Yeah. Well, it increases your heart rate yeah. during inhalation only. Okay. Um, not during uh, the – I think it, it, it increases and then levels off and then just drops back down to normal pretty quickly. I gotcha. Yeah. But up to like 30 beats per minute increase, right? Yeah. I read a real heady article on this study that really just made my eyes cross, but that was the long and short of it. Right. <laughs> But that's one that dealt with the eyes. Like, they really measured all kinds of stuff. Uh, and, we, and we said that fetuses from 11 to 20 weeks of development yawn in uh, utero. And did you see any of, like, the um, 4D ultrasounds of no. fetuses yawning? Is it adorable? It's pretty cute. <laughs> but it's also weird at the same time because they're not fully developed. So it's like, oh, you. It's like a little baby platypus. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> um, but you have to be around age four before you... Um, can uh, you're susceptible to contagious yawning. Yeah. Is there any way to put it besides susceptible to contagious yawning? I don't think so. Why do you feel like you've said that like 80 times? A a lot. And I've had (laughs) trouble with it every time too. Uh, There's another couple of researchers uh, who a couple of years ago, um, Andrew Gallup and Omar Tansi Eldakar, uh, they found that outside temperature could affect the amount of yawning. So if it's warmer than usual, then you're going to yawn less frequently because um, their explanation is the outside air is useless to the organism because it doesn't need to suck in more oxygen. I don't get how the temperature would affect that, though. Well, if it's warmer temperature and you're using the cooler air to, to cool your brain, gotcha. Okay. if it's warmer than the temperature of your brain, then, then it shouldn't work. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Huh, all right. Well, they had other tests, though, that, that showed that uh, the amount of yawning increased both uh, when outside temperature and the temperature of the brain increase. Yeah, so, so it's all over the place. No, no one knows anything about yawning except Robert Provine. <laughs> the foremost leading authority. But, well, he's proven that like seeing or hearing about somebody yawning it triggers your mirror neuron. So, Yeah, I think somebody should do a documentary on these people that uh, become obsessed with... Yawns? No, just like a certain small... Thing, see, you're yawning right now. Um, and that was unsatisfying because you made me laugh in the middle of it. <laughs> I think, like, Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control, I've talked about it before. Errol Morris's documentary sort of did that, but that was about like studying naked mole rats or lion taming or um, what's it called when you uh, clip the hedges? Topiary gardening. Yeah. But someone they should do things that are even more like mundane, like this dude that has dedicated his life to yawning. I just think that'd be interesting. Like, what drives Provine? 
to figure um, this out when it really doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Well, I don't know because, and it's not just yawning. He he frequently is cited as a yawning expert. He's uh-huh. an evolutionary biologist. Oh, okay. So like, but yawning, since it's involuntary and right. since you find it in all vertebrates, it, it, it kind of gives some peek into our evolutionary past. Plus, he probably just loves a good mystery. Sure. He had a great quote too. We were talking about how arousal Yawning is a is a byproduct of a state of arousal. Mm-hmm. He was saying that he believes that um, yawns and orgasms share a neurobehavioral heritage. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, they're possibly rooted in the same behavior. Like, remember, you said it yourself when you pandiculate. Yeah, something feels happens. Good. Uh-huh. Same, you know, with the orgasm. Yeah. So I've heard those feel great. Right. So possibly <laughs> if you trace the, the uh, lineage of this behavior back far enough, you'd see like, oh, they both came from when humans used to stub their toe. They thought it was awesome. And then the yeah. two things diverged into these two things. Interesting. Into uh, yawning and what happens when you're in the mood. <laughs> <laughs> the Glenn Miller mood. Right. Uh, you got anything else? No, man. That is yawning forever until somebody figures it out. It's a mystery. Yeah, and I kind of like it like that, but at the same time, I think it it's so amorphous that there's no no one has a clue. Like sometimes we've talked about stuff that science couldn't fully explain, but we almost always like pick a theory like this is the one. Yeah. It just hasn't been proven yet, right? This one I don't feel like we did that. Like we both like the brain cooling one, but it was kind of discarded. Yeah. Who and knows? I'm definitely going to keep an eye on my pets. Um but then I don't know if like can you induce that just by noticing more, you know, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe what I'll do is I'll watch Emily around the pets so there you no, go. no one's in on it. Just be careful you don't accidentally uh, change their behavior just by observing it. That's Heisenberg's. Right. Well, Buckley farts every time he stretches, too. And he, see? That's what I'm saying. So we'll see if Emily farts <laughs> while she pandiculates. <laughs> right. That'll be the test. Nice. Um, you, so, okay. I think uh, if you guys want to learn more about yawning. You can type that word into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said search bar, it means it's time for listener mail. Uh, not quite yet, my friend. We have a quick uh, word from our sponsor again. And then we will. We have a great listener mail, though, about Rodriguez. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, All right. So uh, this is uh, time for message break. Okay, and now it's time for listener mail, huh? Yes, and I already gave it away because I wanted people to stick around for this, and it is called I Hung Out with Rodriguez. Wow. So we mentioned Rodriguez, the singer-songwriter from the 60s, uh, who, unbeknownst to him, was a huge, huge hit in (laughs) South America and... No, South Africa. What did I say? South America? Mm Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you're not. South uh, Africa, and They're then both, like down there, one's on the left, <laughs> one's on the right, and then uh, later on Australia, and um, so we covered that in our apartheid podcast, and you can yeah. see the documentary "Searching for Sugar Man" is super interesting. Which one? Uh, best documentary this year, right? Yeah, heck yeah. Have you seen uh, "How to Survive a Plague"? That was up for best picture too. No, best documentary. Yes. Was it good? Uh, yeah, it was really good. Um, it was a, It's about the um, early uh, gay 
like AIDS awareness movement. Oh yeah, and like it's just what they were up against is mind-boggling. Yeah, you know, like the idea society was just kind of like no. God's punishing you. Right. Good luck with it, pal. Jeez. Yeah, it was really something. I and saw a... Go ahead. Our friend Stuart of Superhuman Happiness, who they're fans of the show. Oh, yeah? He scored the soundtrack. Oh, nice. And he did a really good job with it, too. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Um, I saw another uh, trailer the other day for a documentary about this family of Jews who hid in a, underground for a year and a half during World War II. What? And they never told their story because they didn't think anyone would believe it. And this caving, cave diver, not cave diver, caving guy, found these human objects and traced the, them back to this family. And they came out like the surviving ones like told their story of it. It's amazing. Wow. It's What's called, it called? Uh, I think it's called No Place on Earth. Cool. And uh, it's coming out soon. It looks awesome. All right. Well, there you go, everybody. <laughs> we like to recommend documentaries around here. Uh, okay, Rodriguez. Guys, it's so fun to hear you talk about Rodriguez because I've known him a little bit here and there. I'm glad he's getting rec- uh, recognition. And here is a story about the first day I met him. Uh, September 2007, I moved into a 101-year-old apartment building in the Cass Corridor neighborhood of Detroit. It was a bar across the street called The Bronx. And after uh, getting moved in, my boyfriend and I went over there and had a night of celebrating and talking with some old and new friends. Our friend Dale pointed out this dude wearing all black uh, with sunglasses on said, you know, Rodriguez, that guy over there is bigger than Elvis in South Africa and Australia. I didn't understand the gravity of his statement at the time, but being friendly people, uh, we talked late into the night with Dale and Rodriguez. Uh, the bar closed. We decided to walk back across the street to our new apartment, and Rodriguez followed us uh, out with his guitar in tow. It was very quiet out, uh, about three in the morning. The apartment building was U-shaped with a big courtyard in the middle and low lighting. It was really beautiful. There was a single picnic table, and we sat there on it talking more and more. Uh, Rodriguez pulled out a pint of brandy, offered us some, and then asked if we wanted to hear his new song, saying he'd just written it the other day. We said, sure, because he seemed so incredibly excited about it. Uh, he played the song for us and played it again, which I thought was interesting. He just played, played it, it twice. He's <laughs> like, so, did you like that? You want to hear it again? Wait before you answer. <laughs> Let me play it a second time. Uh, and then we talked some more about music and love, and he uh, played it once again. No way. I guess he played it three times. Um, I saw him many, many times over the next few years and met his middle daughter as well. He played the same song every time. (laughs) But I'll never forget sitting under the uh, stars all alone with him in a majestic old Detroit courtyard giving my boyfriend and me a private concert of a single song. That's cool. Played thrice and passing the cheap brandy. He really is as kind and happy of a soul as the movie says. That's cool. Uh, When you watch Searching for Sugar Man, you can see a couple people talking at the Bronx Bar and even see my old apartment in the background. I uh, hope I see you guys soon. Love, Julia. Well, thanks, Julia. Hat tip to you for being aware of the word thrice. Yeah. And for, um, I guess, waiting out the storm in Detroit. Yeah, and for listening to that song three times, like, very patient and understanding. Right, with that smile <laughs> plastered on your face the last time. like. Yeah, very cool memory, I imagine. Yeah. Um, let's see, if you have a story about any sort of famous singer-songwriter filmmaker anybody remember the guy who uh, hung out with henry hill and became like really disenchanted as a result yeah yeah uh if you have a good story like that we're always in the mood for a good yarn especially if it's true you can uh, tweet to us if it's a really really short story um to sysk podcast that's our handle the whole thing um you can join us on facebook.com slash stuff you should know 
All one word. That's our Facebook page. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.